This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast. I'm Peter Gowers and joining me, my co-host, Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? G'day, mate. Going well, going well. How about you? I'm going very well, thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't going uh, well, to mention this to you before the podcast recording, but we didn't get around to it because we we're doing other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a bit of uh, proverbial on the liver that I would like to um, oh. I'd like to drop right now, mate. Please. The, the, the spot for it is the weekend edition, so yeah. the, the floor is all yours. Yeah. Well, as you know, mate, I've been uh, a big critic of uh, government largesse, uh, particularly as it relates to the budget, but also uh, as it relates to public service wages, as you well know. And this is not a bandwagon that I've jumped on recently. It's something that I have carried on about for probably the best part of 17 years. <laughs> now, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm just going to give you the, f- the facts, okay? I helped someone get a job this month in a private accounting law firm, oh, sorry, an accounting firm, I should say, not law firm, accounting firm, as, an, as a graduate accountant, okay, reputable firm, starting salary was $45,000, okay? It then transpired that somebody else who knew that person asked me for help getting a job. These guys are graduating in accounting this year. Mm-hmm. And... I said, okay, and I approached the same accounting firm and that person went for an interview and it was looking pretty promising. And then he gets an offer to be a graduate accountant with the Northern Territory Government. Mm-hmm. Guess what the starting salary is? I was just going to say, can I guess? Um Look, I don't know about all these AO 10,000 things and all these numbers they crap on about, but if I had to guess comparing apples with apples, 70,000? 65,000 plus super, mate. Wow. Wow. So how does the private sector compete? How? Exactly. $20,000 difference. Wow. And, and am I right in saying that a graduate accountant, while they've studied, uh, you know, what they need to study, they're, they're basically a, a trainee at that point? Yes. Yeah, okay. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, this, is, this is the problem. I mean, we talk about public service salaries at the high end of town, right, yeah. which, is, which is bad, mm. but right at the base grade level, mate, yeah, yeah. You know, for someone that's gone to university, come out to be an accountant, basically they don't know anything other than what they've studied, yeah. right? And there's a $20,000 pay difference. How does the private sector compete with that? Yeah, because while money's not everything, um, you know, first year out of uni, uh, starting a job, yeah. it, it's, it, it's not even... A, you're not comparing apples with apples. Well, it's just, I just, I'm, you know, I don't even know what to say because if you turn around and say, oh, well, the private sector should pay more, well, sure, but how? Yeah, yeah. Right? 
because unlike the bloody government, we're actually living within our means. Yeah, exactly. I want to cue Chris Walsh into this conversation. Chris, welcome to the podcast and uh, Weekends with Walshy, or Weekends with You, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hey, guys. Are you listening to this, Chris? Yeah, no, it's remarkable. Um, But, yeah, not surprising, I guess, in that sense. I thought they'd even be paying more than 65 for that. But, uh, yeah, look, I I don't know. That's, in a lot of ways, what's strangling this place. and. I, yeah, I mean, look, I, they're not supposed to be hiring anybody right now. Remember? <laughs> yeah, somehow, yeah, you know, good luck to to those guys that are getting those jobs, you know, and and you know, obviously, I wish them all the best. But yeah, this just it's inconceivable that the government is not looking at this and going, you know what, this is crap. We can't continue to do this. You know, either they've got to figure out a way of getting the the private sector up to those levels, or they've got to come back down. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's probably, I have to say, the latter, because yeah. where is the money coming from to pay these wages? It's coming from borrowing. Yeah. You, you know, through the issue of bonds. And however else they raise money, but you know, backed by the Commonwealth government, that's how they they are paying these wages. So I mean, imagine Chris, in the private sector, you say, okay, well, in order to compete, I need to raise my salaries. I don't have the money, so I'm going to go to the bank and ask the bank if they'll lend me the money to yeah. pay wages. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it just wouldn't uh, happen. Uh, I think not. <laughs> So, you know, Chris, I mean, you do some really good work, some really great stories, and, of course, we're going to talk about a, a few of those stories tonight. But this is a story that has been going on and on and on, and it's not getting better, Chris. Mm. The discrepancies are getting wider and wider. Yeah. Well, that's – look, it comes down to leadership. They know what the problems are. They can't claim that they're not even aware of this stuff. Uh, they know what's going on, but there's no appetite to fix it at any time. So it's just going to continue. And we've seen that. And we saw that with the last budget. We saw the announcements before that and the, the hiring freeze being breached. Um, they know what the problems are. It's a lack of leadership, I guess. It's a lack of this appetite to fix things. And, uh, I mean, maybe they don't understand completely the damage that they're doing, but they're going to when businesses are closing up, even more businesses are closing up than mm. already have and leaving town and where are the jobs? And where, you know, and you talk a lot about private investment or they do that, that, you know, that, and this is what the economic reconstruction commission is going to come out with is stuff that we've known for years. You, you, you need to attract private investment to the territory. That's the only way it's going to succeed. That was in the Langland report. That's been in every major uh, economic report for the past five, 10 years here. And We've been unable to do that. And and if you're going to compete with private business, then you're not really attracting them, are you? So until until they start focusing on that and looking at those kind of things, those kind of measures that they can take right now, um, yeah, I don't see anything improving and it's going to get worse. Mm. Well, I don't want to wake up one morning and find that the uh, government's decided to start a newspaper and you've jumped ship, all right? 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think they already are running a newspaper in town, but <laughs> anyway, uh, we're not concerned about that. <laughs> uh, well, look, getting into these stories, um, uh, a police email has been leaked uh, about members being told to lie to the public when they're the only ones on duty. Yeah, that's right, Pete. Look, questions of integrity coming down on police management over this. Uh, was an email we got sent to us this week. Uh, it was from a, a, a superintendent uh, who is emailing. So, the, you know, they have their different divisions in and around the Darwin area. you got Darwin kind of CBD stuff, uh, Casarina Palmerston. So this was in the Darwin division, an email that, that went out and that said, uh, essentially, it said, look, if you, if you get a job, uh, so this is for police. So say they were the only, the only vehicle on. Now, they, they said in this email that, that ideally they would want three vans on per shift. But they said, really, this isn't going to happen. We know we've got a lot of stressors here. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of issues with staffing at this point. And, and some is, you know, dealing with the borders, I guess, are still out there on the borders. But there's another issue here and a bigger issue about uh, uh, sick leave and how many how many officers are actually on sick leave and that. Does that go to the morale? Does that go to the, the fact that they're overworked? Anyway, so they're having serious staffing issues in all of these divisions. So in the Darwin division, this email goes out and it says, look, we want three on um, at any shift. It's probably not going to happen. If, you're, if you are the only van on, on duty and you get called out to a job, and it says this, and if the complainant or victim says, well, that took a while to get here, do not tell them, the email instructs, do not tell them that you're the only van on duty. Just explain that it's a busy shift. So, mm. and then it says, you know, do the task you're dispatched to and ensure the minimum response is achieved. And I think that a lot of people have received that in in recent months and years, the minimum response, the bare minimum response of, oh, we've shown up two hours, three hours later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they say, well, what, what took so long? And they said, well, well, it's a busy shift tonight. Well, <laughs> they're not telling them they're the only band on duty here. So yeah. <laughs> um, this is, this is troubling in a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. And one of the worst I think is, well, one is, the first is, of course, the staffing issues and the, and the reasons for that and the problems that they're having in the force. But the other one is that, that they're misleading the public. I mean, here it is. They're just telling their cops right now, go ahead and lie to people. Um, I don't know how, a, a, you know, an organization that prides itself on integrity and values uh, like the police. And, and we know that the frontline people are doing their best out there with it. But this is this is management stuff. This is them. Um, you know, walking away from their responsibilities here, really. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you talk about a, a bad culture in police now. And look, this is the, the Anti-Police Association um, president there, Paul McHugh, has been, you know, he's been out on the attack on Gunner for well over a year now. And, and you recall that, like, what was it, late last year? Or no, it was earlier this year they did that survey that found that, like, something like 88% of rank-and-file police felt that uh, the office, the management were too political. The, 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 you know, the commissioner's role too, Jamie mm. Chalker, and the police commissioner has become too political. Well, you've got, you've got 
you've got Jamie Chalker now just a couple months ago coming out and attacking the prime minister (laughs) (laughs) over funding, which was just so remarkable, just so remarkable. I've had police commissioner getting that political and going after a prime minister on, on it through the media and saying he hasn't lived up to his bargain to, uh, you know, whatever Chalker mumbles about him. Uh, you know, the remote funding we should have, and they're going to take it from us in two years. <laughs> two years. Like, you know, a lot can happen in that yeah. time. Well, um, but it was just remarkable. So, you know, getting back to the police, the, the rank and file police through the police association saying that they think that they're, the, the brass there is a little too political for their liking. Well, that's a perfect example of that. And now, you know, you've you've got this issue where if if they see the commissioner of police is going off and doing what he's told to do and act as a political animal on behalf of his own political masters, that being the chief minister and the police minister, what does that do to 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 the morale there when they start then being told you've got to go out and lie mm. now you've got to go and and lie to the community about why you just took three hours to get there. I, you know, mix that in with a lot of other issues they have. And, you know, there's still a lot of animosity and a lot of issues over, you know, the Zach Rolf matter and how quickly he was charged in that. And look, you know, we've tried to get it confirmed and I'm I'm still working on it. But I was told that that in September from a very reliable source that uh, you were looking at something like 250 uh, police officers of what, 1,400 uh, on sick leave at one time wow. and police are entitled to have unlimited sick leave. And what the source who with knowledge of that was telling us was that it's, it, it, it revolves around this really bad culture that's going on there. And the police don't feel like they're being supported by management. They're now clearly being told to lie to the public. Um, they're on sick leave for, for a couple of reasons. And, and, and also that they're overworked, right? I mean, the whole philosophy from Jamie Chalker, and this has gone on even before him, is this overtime mentality that will cover shifts and rosters by by paying overtime. And when you look at those, I mean, that's not that's not economically, that's not fiscally sustainable to continue to do that. But they don't seem to have any other plans. So you got these cops who are overworked by this point. They're they're not taking leave. They're not. You know, and even in that email there, we saw where they they weren't getting meal breaks. They were told, and so all of that wears on them. So some of them go on sick leave, but they're not just sitting at home doing nothing. They're actually applying for jobs interstate mm. because they're sick and tired of what's gone on here in the antique for this line. And, and, and this is the worst that I've heard of it. And, you know, I've had good sources in police for years. Um, and, and even when that whole McRobert scandal went down, right, where the commissioner was up yeah, on yeah. charges and stuff. And I mean, that affected morale and that affected a lot of things, but this, this seems different. This seems like it's really uh, it, not only the, the lack of leadership, but the, the police are feeling completely abandoned and, and left to fend for themselves out there. And if they get overworked like they are and they make one little mistake here with something, um, what's going to happen? Are they going to be charged? Are they going to be, you know, paraded around in the media? They're going to be derided in the community if they screw up because they've been working too much. And, I think that that's what they're asking, and that's what Paul McHugh's saying um, from the police association side, is that we need urgent discussions on this, and we need urgent action to be taken, because sooner or later, this is all heading towards something really bad. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and not only just for police, but for the community as well. I mean, if you've got, you've got that many police 
on sick leave? I mean, can they fill these spots? Are they providing more than the minimum responses, they say? Um, so all of this is just, it's coming to a head here, I think quicker than maybe Jamie Chalker wants it to, but something needs to be done. Yeah. And simply uh, telling the police to lie to the public about it doesn't make the problem go away. And in fact, it, it, it adds to that toxic culture that's going on there where why, why would any officer trust their management when they're being told to lie? Yeah. It's just, I, I don't know how you fix that one, but they've got some issues there and they've got some serious issues to work through. And I don't see any leadership there either at this point to, to, to take, Reign of that and say, okay, here's what we got to do, and we got to do this now. Of course, you got yeah. the police association defending their their officers, but I think it's so entrenched now this thing, and I think it goes back to the chief minister too and his leadership and Nicole Manis and his police minister that, um, you know, when when they start doing things like they're doing and the way they behave and conduct their business, again, I mean, who are you looking to here to be role models and, mm. and dealing in integrity and and honor? Um, it is, there's just a dearth of it here now and yeah well like police now i mean being told to lie i just why why it's, do you show up there i wonder it's next yeah. level isn't it so does yeah. that uh does that have any um relation to this situation uh with the stabbing at casuarina and and them keeping quiet on that yeah it seems to be like that that was an odd one so we were told and i mean this is a disturbing incident right that the the two people were stabbed uh in and around like the casarina all sports club um by the woolies there at the at the shopping center so uh we're, we think well wow okay let's go through these releases we, we we didn't hear anything about it you know the police do their daily reports on abc radio uh, every morning too about what happened the night before and this was apparently tuesday night so we go back and one of the reporters listens to it and says no they didn't mention it um woof. you know what are they mentioning i mean a lot of you know kind of humdrum stuff how many you know duis i mean that's serious but you got people stabbed and you don't think that that's worth telling the public about like you know mm. as a journalist we we're in that position of you know what's in the public interest so I, well here's the pro tip guys stabbings near a shopping center yeah. where where you know it happens at a reasonable hour of, of night where there are people around and there are witnesses and things and, and and they don't think that's in the public interest to tell people i mean uh that's really disappointing so so we went to them uh the police the media manager there rob cross uh who's a former abc editor and journalist um and you wouldn't never have guessed that by what he's doing these days with the suppression of information. But um, so we gave them the opportunity. We said, hey, guys, you know, uh, what's going on? This is definitely in the public interest. What happened here? And no, they're not they're not responding. Um, even St. John Ambulance is a very odd response from them. Uh, now, they're usually quite open about things. Uh, they said, no, we, we, we don't comment on thing on ongoing police investigations. Well, we're not asking about the investigation. We're asking how these people were that were treated that would have been treated by St. John Adams since two people were stabbed. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and so they, they, you know, they've, they've kind of branched out now. They used to have their own PR people that now hired a, a firm to do this, oh, uh, wow. or at least the person who ran her own firm before. So I'm guessing she still does. Um, 
which is that's probably not the best way to go to have open communication dialogue with the community anyway so uh so look nobody's talking about this uh the Kesterine all sports club they know it happened but they don't want to say anything they're afraid everybody's afraid of talking about this and it's like well this is an issue um so it's the shopping center uh, management got back and said look hey it didn't happen on our property we're aware of it it was more on the the, the sports club side of things and that's where the issue is police are very much aware of it they say so you know there you go mm-hmm. police yeah. are aware of it they know about it but they don't want to tell yeah. anybody about it and this isn't the only case of that either right i mean this is you know we've got issues we've heard just horror stories of what's going on in the bush with um health officials and i think you know watch out for that story too there's some stuff that's happened that that you know the, the the health bodies are afraid to talk uh and i don't know who's intimidating them or what but they're afraid to talk about it if the police haven't given them the, the go ahead to say anything and the police for some reason aren't doing that and the police for some reason look if you go and you you look at the press releases these days the media releases so these these are the incidents that the police want to get out there in the community and for the past 3 months the sole focus almost the sole focus i mean there've been other things <laughs> but it's quite clear that they have an agenda and that agenda is the grog illegal grog and drugs in remote communities now that's great guys that is really good i mean the other day they busted 10 uh indigenous guys with 10 beers each or 9.8 beers each and a bottle between them the, you know, Cracker Jack work guys. Meanwhile, you got people being stabbed here in the city mm-hmm. um, and you're not reporting on that. But this this seems to fit this agenda that Chalker has of, well, let's just focus on this for the community and let's show them the, the, the impact that we're having um, by something that we want to show them where we're having an impact on. And in this case, the best thing that Chalker can point to is that he's apprehending illegal grub. That's good. That's a worthy pursuit. But it, it, it appears if you just read the media releases that that's coming at the expense of everything else. Because meanwhile, you've got other things, uh, you know, violent crimes that are, aren't being reported on, that are being covered up. <laughs> you know, he gives a speech this week at the, uh, the No More to Domestic Violence um, <clears throat> campaign uh, lunch that they did and uh he talks about all of these incidences here like you know the the, the violence uh, domestic violence especially 23,000 cases or something of, of, of violence 70 percent of those were domestic violence and he talks about uh you know getting things out there and we should be talking about this but i mean it's those it's, it's his own media team that aren't putting that stuff out and i found it really cynical of them to put out that day a case of a domestic violence dispute that that had happened where a 25 year old Avesh, his 20 year old girlfriend and, and another family friend and they put that out at around the same time that the police commissioner is giving a speech about it and you can't help but be cynical that like you're 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 playing this you're you're withholding information from the public for your own political gain and i don't have any respect for that and that just seems to be how Chalker is running this thing, and along with Rob Cross, the communications manager, they, these guys, yeah, they, they they don't have any. They're not respecting the community in that sense. They're not giving people the facts of things. And of course, you know, from time to time, of course, not everything can come out, but there better be a good reason. And you got to start working with people. You know, this has gone on for for a couple of years here, but 
they um they just don't seem to want to work with media and in fact it's funny that rob cross is the editor of abc uh at one point you know was on board trying to take out the media people at the police this is just a couple years ago there was this big meeting with the government and they're trying to get rid of their communications director and other people because they just weren't communicating it was so toxic um and and now you've got this and now rob cross is in that role and he's doing the exact same thing i mean they're not communicating they're not working with media here and they're definitely not working with us. And I don't know if that's because of the Gunner government ban on us or that they have their own reasons for not wanting to talk to us. And probably because we're reporting stuff like this about how management has serious integrity issues now and that they're not dealing with it. And that it's the frontline officers who are suffering and it's the community that suffers. And it all goes back to communication and they don't want to participate. So I don't see how that, that gets fixed either anytime soon. Well, mate, it seems to be the week uh, to talk about crime. Mm. Uh, and it's interesting, you've got a story here about uh, a meeting that was held by Nairi Kit, who is the member for Karama. Uh, and it appears to be, it would have been a, a, an invite-only community crime forum in her electoral <laughs> office, yeah. uh, but she only attended by eight hand-selected people. Like, what was that all about? I, it was very odd. <laughs> it was very odd. was raised this morning, Thursday morning here on, on radio. Well, I think it would started on social media. People were quite angry about this. Nari uh, Kid had come out now. Keep in mind that Karama was recently identified by the police as one of the worst hit northern suburbs of this crime wave that was going on with, uh, with young people smashing shops and uh, assaults on people. Um, so, you know, and the community's sick of it. I mean, every community, as we heard on the weekend about uh, out in the rural area, and uh, 250 people showed up out there demanding answers from police and politicians on, on you know, this crime wave that's going on out there now. So I think this has been going on for a while. And, of course, we have our chief minister who said just in August that crime is not an issue. I'm not campaigning on that. I don't need to campaign on that. Um, he was sick into the COVID stuff. So now here we have the follow-up from all of this, and crime's bad, guess what, in the northern suburbs especially, and Karama especially. So the local member, Naria Kit, uh, she puts together, I think it was just on Facebook yesterday, she put out a, a kind of call for, hey, everybody, I want to do this uh, community forum tonight. Can I chime and, in just quickly? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, but this may give you some a little bit more background in this. So uh, I think you guys would be aware that I'm involved in the various community groups around Darwin and help mm. to, uh, you know, oversee those and make sure people are going by the rules. Now, apparently yeah. what's happened is somebody has set up um, a second community Karama group, uh, yeah. which is much smaller and has far less people in it. And she's apparently put the invitation in that group knowing that it's not where the majority of people spend uh, their time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes total sense. But, yeah, that's what I wasn't getting because I saw something, too, just on her page, and I'm thinking, okay, well, where's that going and who's that getting? So, but apparently there, was, there were more people than she thought. Right. And so she's stopping people. She's blocking people and saying, oh, no, no, it's only in my <laughs> electorate office. I only have, you know, uh, tea and, and yeah, <laughs> crumpets yeah. for, for eight. Yeah. And so... Um, so the eight wonderful community members, she's called them now, so she brings them in. 
And I, 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 and I would understand the frustration of people who are like, you know, we want the local MLA to do something. She's in government. We voted for her. They have all the resources to fix this. Why aren't they listening to us? Why has she closed the doors on us? And these eight wonderful people are in there drinking tea with her and discussing. And, and she said that, you know, they brought their own skill set and experiences and have all been touched by crime. Um, <laughs> hopefully then, not in a bad way <laughs> <laughs> but then she says right after that she says uh they said well somebody was you know it was on on katie's show with these quotes this morning and um mix and she, and somebody was like texting katie or something say ask her ask her if they were all affected by crime so she does and nari kind of falls apart a little bit and says well i, I don't know i didn't ask them all but I, but she assumed that they had because they had lived in the community for more than 20 years. Right. So therefore, you must have been affected by crime. Is, <laughs> yeah, like that is not a good... She'd say, I, I would be really surprised if not everybody was directly impacted. She said, that's, right. I don't think that that's a good thing. I don't think right. that that's... Maybe there would be people in the community who haven't been affected by crime. You know, if you're doing your job, maybe people wouldn't be affected by crime. It's certainly not something that the real estate agents would be using their ads, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Come to Karama. You'll be affected by crime. Guarantee. <laughs> we guarantee. Stay for a year. <laughs> you know, We're laughing, but man, it's terrible. And I understand yeah. the frustration there. And so here she is now. And she, she, so she decides that these eight people that she's picked, um, will now form this special kind of subcommittee or some, some sort of community action group. Now, the concern around that is, and she keeps saying, and she was saying today, you know, and I don't want it to be political. I don't want my interest to be served in this. Well, you're the one who assembled the eight people. I mean, sometimes <laughs> yeah. some things that Nari says just baffle me that, that, she, that she hasn't thought through them. But so she puts together these people and says, oh, you know, it's for the community. Well, maybe it's best to let the community do that kind of stuff because yeah, yeah. you're the politician and she recognizes that. So, um, well, she recognizes she's the politician who has an interest, but apparently she doesn't recognize that she's handpicked and assembled this team, team Karama, let's call them, something Gunner would say. Um, so, yeah, so now she says, well, we want to put this team together and we'll have a meeting sometime in the new year. We'll, get, we'll let everybody come in on this meeting. And sometime in the new year, people are like, wait a second. Like, we know it's youth crime. It's an issue. Here we've got school holidays coming yeah. up. Uh, we need this done now. This uh, great group has has said that they want to now meet on December 14th in Karama and get everybody out there and to, to start really getting something. Now, the criticism that, that was thrown her way, of course, today uh, on radio and then the CLP uh, came out, the deputy opposition leader, uh, Gerard Malley. Um, but first, just back on the radio with community people, I found that really interesting. We're saying, look, you know, uh, Nari has been quite silent on this for four years, for the last four years. Yeah. Quite silent on a lot of things, for that matter. Um, and they said that she's out of touch here and that that shows that. And that not only her, but the Gunner government have been aware of the issues in the community for years and haven't done anything. So really, what is going to be accomplished with this little action group? Um, what are they going to uncover? What are they going to reveal that, that, that everyone there doesn't already know and that the government doesn't know and has chosen not to do anything? With? So, you know, it comes down to, um, to getting those resources or starting to fix the problem is what people want to see. And, yes. uh, yeah, I don't know 
how that's going. Uh, look, Gerard Manley, deputy opposition, CLP leader, uh, his comments today saying, uh, look, holding a community meeting at late notice where only eight handpicked people could attend is ridiculous, he said, demonstrates how to touch they are. Uh, many more people wanted to uh, to have their voices heard. And, and she is a, a member of the government, so she should pick up the phone, call the chief minister, and tell him to take some action on things here. Yep. Uh, hard to argue with that. And yeah, you know, and, and the story I think here was pretty, pretty fair and balanced. Went back to uh, Naria Kitt saying that, look, she, she is aware of these issues. She's trying to put together this group. She thinks this is the best way to do it instead of having 300 angry people throwing tomatoes at her. Um, which they probably would and probably will still do now, but uh, yeah. she wants to do this group and then do it. So, I mean, it's a, it's a way of doing it, whether or not it's it's been handled the best here. I think it seemed to me to be a last minute thing. And I think a lot of people thought she's just trying to get away from, from accountability here and having to deal with the real, the unwashed who would uh, really tell her what they think instead of these eight wonderful people yeah, that she put uh, in there. So. I think also, uh, look, you know, I, I picked up in the official group later that night that one of the real flashpoints, uh, you know, and topics of conversation that, I mean, aside from the way it was done, where the posts were put so that most people didn't see it, what got most people offside was the fact that she'd invited Channel 9 there. Yeah, they, yeah, they just thought, yeah, this, yeah. this is just, this is a stunt, it's a beat up, and it's not set up to achieve, you know, what people want to achieve, and that is to feel safe in their homes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is, that's just pure politics right there. That's, that's just yeah. a photo op and say everything's good. Look, here's eight people I picked and they're really concerned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. terrible. I didn't even realize that about nine. I'd heard something about that today about that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. To do that, that's pretty cynical too. Wow. <laughs> well, we're, Jesus, I don't know what we're going to do about crime in this place, but we got the police with their own issues. We've got politicians with their own issues. Meanwhile, the community's being held at ransom most nights and afraid to go outside. Someone's got to give. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I presume um, the fact that she initially suggested uh, the next meeting to be in January, I, I presume that yeah. means that the criminals have obviously submitted their annual leave form so they wouldn't be around for the next two months. Oh, <laughs> uh, God, yeah. That's, that's the kind of cynical thing, the point that I think everybody's at right now is that, yeah, what's going to actually be done here? I mean, mm. to keep kicking it down the road, I mean, this has happened for too long to try and get a, yeah, a good photo op out of it and not address right. what's really going on. You got to hear from real people. So yep. until they do Absolutely. that, yep. I hope they find solutions. Correct. And look, moving on to the next story now, uh, which is, you know, obviously also of, of interest is uh, Zachary Rolfe's lawyer is seeking to move his murder trial to Darwin. Yeah, that's right, Pete. Not a lot of info out of that uh, hearing the other day. Uh, it was yesterday, Wednesday. Um, we do know that they want to bring the case here to Darwin. Uh, the reasons for that, though, uh, have been suppressed now until sometime, I think, next oh. month in December, uh, and exactly what the legal argument is. Now, as I recall, it was shut down before. They tried to do it earlier, and it was shut down for some reason. Um, but clearly the defense team here thinks they have enough of an argument to, to bring it forward again. 
It will, the, the other thing, the big thing that came out though on Wednesday is that the trial will begin on July 19th. So here you go, mm. seven, eight months now away, uh, and we'll run for five weeks uh, before acting Justice Dean Mildren. Uh, so there you go, you've got a date for that. Um, it's, you know, like I said, it's been so controversial. It's been such a, a lightning rod <laughs> for issues in the community uh, mm. right across the NT. And I, I would imagine, you know, that they, they think that in Darwin it may be a little less, um, you know, tense. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I guess next week or next month, sorry, we should find out the, the reasons for the application and the decision on whether or not it will be uh, held up here will be will be made then too. So, yeah, uh, look, this is one of those cases that every time, you know, something comes out about it. New people are reading it. People are interested in this and they want to see where it goes. Police have their own stakes in it. Um, you know, the, the people in Uendamu, uh have their stake in it. So when this gets resolved or when it does, when the trial starts, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a big event here. It's going to be yeah. one of the biggest trials that we've seen in a long time. Yep. Mm. And uh, on the subject of trials, it seems like the uh, our good uh, Lord Mayor has dodged a bullet. <laughs> Diamond Con. Diamond Con. Diamond or Teflon Con. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Leon, I found that funny too because I think it was on ABC and they were asking him and they said, uh, Con, um, you were such a big supporter of this. This must be devastating for you. Oh, no, I was not a big supporter. You know, I wait and then I decide everything at the end. I don't know. He was out there spruiking this thing. <laughs> he was out trying to sell it to everybody. Oh, this nice. is a very good thing. We do this. And now he's saying, nah, I wasn't really into uh -huh. it. You know, I was just waiting to see what would happen. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. He just reminds me so much of Lindsey Graham. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's Lindsey Graham going out there saying, you know, uh, the election was a fraud. Uh, yeah, he stole the election. Yeah. And then he goes, and then he's caught fist pumping Kamala Harris in the Senate, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's the same crap, mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, that's why we've been calling them Diamond Con. It just reminds me of Diamond Joe Quimby, you know? <laughs> like, he's just... <laughs> He's just a whole sideshow in and of himself. He's a showman, right? I mean, Convet Skills is first and foremost a showman. God bless him. You know, he makes he makes counsel entertaining. They'll give him that. <laughs> but to, to to play people for fools and suggest that uh, that he he wasn't supportive of it and he waits and does a balanced decision on things. That's <laughs> not how it went down. Anyway, so so what 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 came out of course is that uh, Alderman Justine Glover. Uh, she kind of had enough of this whole ongoing saga and decided, ah, let's make a motion here. I mean, as part of um, the greening of the city, let's 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 lay sod down over the uh, the parking lot there, and let's just do away with it right now. Let's make turn it into a green space, and then I guess the idea being that um, it would no longer be viable for the RSL to move in on it. And use it. I don't know about that. Like that's why I think we were careful in the story that we ran, so that it may be dead. <laughs> it looks very likely that the RSL's you know controversial Esplanade proposal is dead, but uh, you never know. I mean, this is like I said, like what a 
five-act French play here. And we're <laughs> who knows at what point we're actually at in this thing. I mean, who's going to come back? Khan's twin will show up now and say that <laughs> it wasn't uh, it wasn't a uh, a sacred site at all. And now, and now, blah blah blah. <laughs> Fireworks are going off. Um, <laughs> so we don't know exactly, but it does look by all accounts like this would be the end of it. Uh, the RSL has actually come out and they made a statement saying that, yeah, they're now looking at other alternatives. Well, they were discussing um, discussing alternatives with the rank and file, I guess, to determine what they're going to do next. You recall, though, that like just a couple of weeks ago, we thought it was all kind of over with and and steve gloucester there the president of the rsl had come up and said that uh, oh no it's just on the back burner still going con was trying to distance himself from it at that point <laughs> so uh but now it does seem like uh, the appetite's gone there to for the rsl to pursue that and perhaps they'll look at their very nice location on cabinet street that they have again uh, i believe it's going to shelbyville <laughs> yeah it's a, this is more of a shelbyville idea this has been <laughs> <laughs> More of a Cairns idea in Townsville. <laughs> well, I don't understand it. I mean, like you say, there's there's this site that sits on uh, Kavanagh Street that sort of looks like the scene of, you know, a dozen murders or something, the way it's sat for the last couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Surely the owner wants it uh, rebuilt and leased out, so why can't a deal be struck? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that they owned it or something. They're like heavily involved there. Like that that's their spot. And yeah, why why this whole thing? I mean, you know, they talked about it being a 50-year thing. And, you know, a lot of the statement that, that came out from the RSL was a lot of flowery language around how it's their spiritual right to be up at the astronauts still and to oversee the <laughs> eternal flame and <laughs> like and it's just no that, yeah. like let's not conflate two things here. Like you're you're trying to build it pub there essentially this is nothing to do with uh, being the the guardians of the eternal flame or whatever yeah. um so yeah yeah i would hope that they start making some sense now and uh, uh find a reasonable place to go and like, yeah that cabin on the street side seems pretty good um but you know i i just i just there's it's just something like that, that so Remember the con said it's not, we've got to go to the Aboriginal, you know, sacred site. I can't remember the name of the group now. My apologies on that. Um, APA to, to, to determine if it is a sacred site. And so that, I wonder if now that gets dropped or not, because I'd like to know a little bit more about that. I would really like to know that because in this whole grand play that was going on, the, 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 the greatest scene was the one that con came up with the night that you know 300 yes. people show up at council and they want yes. they're going to vote on it at the last minute oh no no we can't do this we can't vote on this i've just got special information and then we don't hear about him <laughs> until the next morning and then he does the media rounds and he has this whole story but there's little holes in the story that we've always talked about him yeah. whether or not illawar lee had had come to him in his office or a dream or something i didn't the way he was talking right or or an email or a phone call. There were different yeah. stories that he told around how he became aware that this was uh, a sacred site and why council couldn't vote on it. But then council didn't do the right thing at the time either in terms of voting on the the, the motion to defer. So I really I'm interested in in seeing that because I think well look I know for a fact that there's more to come out about this. 
And I just, I think that everybody, I don't want people to forget about it. I want, you know, because something happened in all of that, something that shouldn't have been happening happened. Let's just see where it goes. But, but I think that, that it's, yeah, it should come out at some point. We'll have to check the uh, Vats Galas sacred site register. (laughs) Anyway, uh, moving on to the gift that keeps giving, uh, there's some new details, more details of the Chief Minister's big night in in Sydney revealed, (laughs) uh, including some of the costs on his little trip for his wedding suit. Yeah, God, like you you remember the first story a couple weeks ago. So I had uh, I had a FOI put in an FOI freedom of information application many months ago, many months ago about this, and didn't get anything back. They delayed, they delayed, they delayed. Finally, I get this stuff back, and it's like almost scraps of paper with little notes written on it with flight numbers and times. I mean, it was it was just trash. I mean, I've FOI'd stuff here for six and a half years. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, this was not official documentation. It was emails with flight numbers. It was nothing. It was trash. And then they then they sent me something. Well, they withheld the one part that was very interesting, which is Gunner goes on this Hawaii trip uh, to build relationships with the U.S. Marines in Honolulu for some reason. That was the place to do it, which has never <laughs> been explained. Um, and then he comes back, and it was that leg into Sydney where he stays for a night. And we're told that some stuff happened there that he, you know, had a good night, had a, had a very good night in Sydney. And then the next morning, this high-priced third-best tailor in Sydney shows up at the hotel. And we, we get this confirmed in the little notes, little script piece of paper that they send us. So we do the story, but that was it. They, they, they withheld that lag of the flight from Honolulu to Sydney because it is important. Now, if he, you know, if he gets in, it's a long flight. He gets in, he's missed flights back to Darwin and maybe he's entitled to a night in a hotel and that's probably fair, right? Like, I don't think anyone's going to begrudge the chief minister that. But where this got really interesting was that that lag of the trip was missing from even the bad documentation that I was given. That was, everything else was there. That was missing. So I went back to them and I said, look, <laughs> you haven't given me everything. I'm sure it was just misplaced, but I need this. I think this is important to determine exactly what the the... the, the you know what was actually happening at that time when he came in so it 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 took them almost another month and they sent me the day planner thing that just said from december 12th to december 14th flight from honolulu to sydney and we know that he had stayed in the hotel on the 13th of december and and you know and then back and checked out on the 14th and we assumed back in darwin but that wasn't clear either so Anyway, so I, I write the story. We know that the things haven't been filed properly. We've been told by people in the in the Department of Chief Minister and Office of Chief Minister that now um, that's all that exists and that it wasn't filed properly. So I write the story. I'm I'm not I'm not happy about this because this is this is bad governance at this point. Like this, you've got to document this stuff properly when it's taxpayer money. If he if he had a legitimate reason for staying in Sydney that night, like let's just see it, let's hear it, and everything will go away. But it was the fact that they were trying to cover this up. It appeared like that. I thought something's going on here more with it. So anyway, we do the story, and uh, it goes well, and people are concerned and rightfully so. And it starts to remind them of the the bad old CLP days. You remember, like John Elfring took his family all around the U.S. at Christmas time, and you know 
tried to claim it was official stuff. Like I went to the White House. Yeah, but you went, you know, to the White House on the tour with everyone else. And he was trying to make it sound like you had a meeting there. And then you had like Matt Conlon, who went to Los Angeles to study reality, the effects of reality television on on Americans' travel habits. So he, he thought if the he could get the Kardashians to screw BNT, I don't know. Like he anyway, it was such a bizarre trip, and it cost us like thirty thousand bucks, and it was just so stupid. And you had a lot of it. You had facials in Singapore hotels and uh, massages and all this stuff. And 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 you know to the point that like when Gunner was was trying to be elected in twenty sixteen, he said, "Look, th- those guys have, with that frivolous travel have brought parliamentarians into disrepute. We're going to clean it up." And then what do we do? We see here that something happened on this trip and the documentation wasn't done properly and that he's, you know, getting personal stuff done here with the, the, the wedding suit getting made by the tailor, um, which is against protocol. You're not supposed to be doing this stuff. And so anyway, the story goes out there and people are curious about it and concerned about it. So, and I think, well, basically it's, it's, it's never really over with me because there's always something that'll always come back and something will happen. But I was not, super, I was not with. I was sure I was not expecting that on Monday morning when I went into the office that I'd be getting more documents related to it. And I just thought, well, this is really weird. So now they've sent me more official documents where I can see the flight records. And this is all what I requested months ago. But now they've decided, oh, yeah, well, these newly discovered flight records have emerged and here you go so take these 30 pages of stuff and leave us alone and drop by the way drop your internal review that you've requested because you know they didn't give me proper documentation i have a right under the foi act to request an internal review that eventually would go to the foi commissioner or the information commissioner so um so they give me this stuff and i'm going through it and i realize, oh okay well there's more details here and one we can see now that essentially what happened on this one is that it started out this trip was the hawaii honolulu based trip to deal with the u.s marines and he was going to bring in uh, defense jobs to the territory so he needed to go to honolulu now they they organized all this stuff end of august early september the flight was supposed to be on november 9th (laughs) so they're done they're ready to go two months out they've got everything set now, what happens is the two weeks out, the dates start to change and the states, dates start to be extended. So we see now that, 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 that Gunner, and according to internal memos, Gunner and his then chief of staff, Elf Leonardi, signed off on extending the trip to the 14th. Now, Elf wasn't on the trip with him, but he, as the chief of staff, had a role in there. <laughs> so... Yeah, so they extend it by two days, which then incurs a whole bunch of fees. And then, and the reason that's listed is that it says um, uh, flight times, just says flight times. Mm-hmm. Now, so but these these flights had already been booked two months before, and yeah. so the the whole trip's planned, the whole trip's ready to go. Everybody knows it, and then two weeks before he changes it, they change it, and he gets an extra two days. Now, and all of that, those fees, those extra fees, that's charged taxpayers. Now, the other thing that we see, too, is some limos that were used around Sydney. And, of course, he's going to need a lift from the hotel to uh, or from the airport to the hotel and back. Why he chose the Grace Hotel, too, is very strange. I mean, under the policies, there's certain hotels and stuff that that doesn't seem to be from anyone that I've spoken to one that that's well known or that would actually be there. It is considered, you know, an upmarket one and a nice hotel at that. But 
why does he go that far over from the airport and stuff? Why isn't he on a flight in the morning? So then we find the other thing, because now we're starting to see, okay, well, look, you know, the other information they gave me from Honolulu to Sydney, um, we see now that he, he left at 10 a.m. Honolulu time and he got in about 5.30 in Sydney local time. Now they, they go past the dateline, so it's the next day, but it's just essentially a long day for Michael Gunner and he's in business class and can sleep and there are flights. And I, like I said, I just know the, the instinct for me when I've come back from Los Angeles, a lot of Vancouver is to just keep going back to Darwin. You just want to go home anyway, whatever he's, it was entitled to be in that hotel. But what goes on next though, that, the fact that they changed it, like it, it, it appears that according to the records, he, he did initially intend to fly from Sydney back to Darwin like most people would do, and that would be the end of it. But it was two weeks out from the trip that they then extended it, and then they've done this whole deal with the hotel and the, and the tailor. So we then see that on that next day, after he meets with the tailor from 10 to 11, that he could have taken any number of flights back uh, to Darwin. There's still a few flights that day. He doesn't do that. Instead, they had booked for him weeks before a flight for him and his advisor, Chris Langworthy, to go from Sydney to Melbourne to Darwin. And we didn't know what the Melbourne thing was about, but now the, these new documents show that he flew. Like, I don't know anybody who's ever done that because I think you're adding like three hours onto your trip, you know, by the time <laughs> you get off the plane and uh, all that stuff. It's, it's really bizarre. So again, uh, they're not providing us any answers with this, but I can tell you that... Um, there is more to come on this one too, because it's all, it's like I said before, it's sometimes not the crime so much as it is the cover up. And this has seriously been covered up here mm. and we don't exactly know, but, but there's enough questions to be raised that he clearly engaged in, you know, his own private affairs there. Taxpayers paid for it. Should he not be paying taxpayers back for some of it? But I'm, I'm starting to think that there's more to this, that there's been something gone on uh in dcm or the office of chief minister as it relates to my foi requests that that isn't proper and uh we're going to keep pursuing it uh as you guys were saying that i'm known for yeah, <laughs> keep it. pursuing it so um <laughs> yeah. all, all this talk mate reminds me of the movie a few good men and i don't know if you remember the part <laughs> when uh, tom Tom Cruise was uh, questioning uh, Jack Nicholson on the stand, and those two <laughs> airmen walked in at the in the middle of it, and um, and and uh, and then he produces the the the, uh, the tower logs of these flights that didn't actually take off or <laughs> land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's what we're doing. You want the truth? Truth? <laughs> oh, goodness. That'll be we'll end off. We'll end off on this this story, and I got to tell you, it gave me a little bit of a chuckle. This is a p police find man missing in the outback with drone, who's now facing charges. And I was just wondering whether it was the same guy that left his car at the border and hijacked <laughs> it with, with on thongs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kick, kick the hell out of someone on the way and <laughs> kept moving. Yeah, we we don't know. Uh, this guy, yeah, this guy, it was a weird story. And again, like, yeah, anyway, with the police. So the police, so this guy apparently gets into some sort of fight 
with somebody at the King's Canyon Resort. Somebody walks off on Sunday night and nobody sees or hears from him until Wednesday night. But the police didn't do anything. I mean, I don't know when it was reported or something to police, but this guy hadn't been seen for days. And so on Wednesday, they put out a release saying, we're looking for information related to this guy. Here's a photo of him. He was last seen in some altercation and he wandered off somewhere. And uh, we don't think he had food or water. <laughs> the guy's been missing for three days. Like, and they, they decide, okay, now's a good time to tell people about it. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so um, so apparently they find him though. Hours after that press release came out, and then five six hours later, they've got the drone going around, and they find this guy. What they say is in some sort of camp, about two kilometers uh, outside of the resort area. And he's suffering from mild dehydration. Uh, and they take him in and there's really, and that's it. All right, case closed. And then we find out, though, that this guy is then charged at some point overnight. And into Thursday, and he ends up in Alice Springs local court on Thursday, charged with aggravated assault and damaging property. Wow. Um, so yeah, who knows what all the what that and work? I mean, where was this guy for three days with nothing, <laughs> and he's only got a little mildly dehydrated. I mean, yeah, three days in that heat down there, like wow, in the desert for that long. Um, and yeah, then he was only at the after three days of walking around. He was only two kilometers away from the resort. <laughs> yeah, could, what the heck? He found a little place to tuck in, and he was all good. <laughs> Found a billabong. It's actually uh, Mr. Dundee uh, declined to quote for this article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot more to that story for sure. Um, who knows if we're going to get to hear it. But, it, was a, uh, it was a busy shift. We'll never know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, again, yeah, failure to communicate always <laughs> results in problems. <laughs> well, mate, uh, once again, you've done a, a great job this week uh, bringing these stories. We uh, appreciate it. We uh, feel your pain uh, that, you know, the government still continues to not engage, which I think is terribly wrong. Uh, but we will engage with you. We'll continue to, <laughs> to make sure that you uh, you get some airtime here and uh, these stories keep uh, Coming up, we know for a fact that oh, yeah. uh, that your uh, podcast each week, mate, is listened to by a lot of people. So, yeah, no, and I appreciate it, guys. And it's always fun, and um, it's always fun to kind of just get behind the stories here and talk a little bit more about that. And I think people are finding that interesting too, and just kind of how the lay of the land is here and what's going on behind the scenes. But um, yeah, and Leon, to to your point about that, we're going to have some stuff I think in the next little while come out about. Um, exactly what's going on there with the ban and where that stands at this point and what what needs to be done and what can be done and just how inappropriate it is and how illegal it is so um yeah we'll be talking about it soon i'm sure hopefully get a good get some sort of positive result yeah yeah beautiful thanks chris all right thanks guys that was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper on the weekend edition of the Territory Story podcast. Weekends with Walshie. We'll be back again next week. We'll catch you then.
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms, the Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.